Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good, good. I've been thinking a lot this week. This is not an exciting topic, but I've been thinking about laws and why we obey them for a couple reasons. Number one, there's been a lot of lawlessness in our country over the last couple months. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of, you know, sort of bricks through windows and things that are like, okay, people are breaking the law here. There's a lot of that going on. So you think about, okay, the laws that we have and do we all agree to live under them? Um, And then there... Uh, another reason I've been thinking about laws is because I've been teaching my oldest son, who was just up here playing keyboard, uh, I've been teaching him to uh, drive a car. And when you think about driving a car and teaching someone, you think about all the things about like, well, what does a rolling stop look like? And should you really do that? And what does it mean to, what, what does it mean to come to a full stop? And, and you, you sort of look at the signs and you go, okay, we need to obey the law, the, the rules that are out there. So I've been thinking about it for that reason. Um, and then I've, I've also been thinking about this because uh, this year more than ever, I've read more executive orders from our governor about things that we're supposed to be doing. And so as we're trying to navigate COVID, there's all the stuff about if you're going to regather, this is what it looks like, and this is what, here's the rules for restaurants, here are the rules for churches, that kind of thing. And so there's these laws out there, and I've been reading them closely to try to figure out, like, well, what does this mean, and what do we have to do, and, and is this, and there's a part of me that goes, like, is this really binding, and do we really have to do this, and do I have to do this, and what's my loophole, is there a way to get around it, like, looking at all the subpoints of the letter of, of the law that comes out, or the executive order, um, and trying to figure out, do I have to follow this thing, and I realized, as I've been looking into that stuff, that there's something in my soul, and, and I would imagine it's in your soul, too, there's something in me slash us that just doesn't like to obey the rules. Like, I just don't like it. I'm, it, it there, there's, the, the, it just kind of kicks up this thing inside of me um, the, about, about obeying the rules. Like, if I said to you, you need to obey the law, you need to obey the rules, like, what emotion does that kick up in you? It's like, maybe anger or, like, pride, it's maybe a little bit of fear, like, what? I need to obey what? Like, we don't love that idea. Now, some of you are rule keepers. So when I say you need to obey the rules, you're like, yes, finally, somebody said it. Yes, we all need to. I wish everybody would obey the rules. If we've seen nothing in COVID, we've learned that who are the rule keepers and who are not the rule keepers in America, right? Some of you are like, oh, I just love it when we keep all the rules. This is how we all be safe, and this is how we all win, and we all get to do it together. Like, okay, you're rule keepers. And then there's other people. You say, obey the rules, obey the law, and people are like, I am a grown man or a grown woman. You can't tell me what to do. Like, I don't need, because we bristle at the idea that there would be this authority over us. This concept of obedience, obeying the laws, is extremely unpopular. We use it with children, right? We tell kids, you need to obey mommy or daddy. You need to obey. You need to obey your teachers. You need to obey the authorities. We, We use that word with kids. We use the word obey with dogs, right? We talk about with dogs. We send dogs to doggy obedience school, because they need to know how to stand and sit and heal and, and do their business outside. Like, you do that with dogs, right? We don't do that with cats so much. I don't know why. Cat, I, I, someone told me that cats send their, their owners to obedience school, and that's probably true. 
There's no like feline obedience school, I don't think, but there is one for dogs. I don't understand that, but that, that's a thing, right? So we, 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 we think that children should obey, because that's what they should do. We think dogs should obey. But when it comes to grown adults, we don't think we should obey. We don't think that's a thing that we st- still do, or we're really not into that. The concept of obedience with adults is, is radically un- unpopular. And so we've been doing this series, and we're going to finish it up today, called Off Track on Purpose. And what we've been trying to look at is, what is the track of our culture? What are, what are the things that we, we sort of believe in culture that, that you should or shouldn't do? And then where does our faith in Christ call us to step away from that track and onto a completely different track? on purpose, to go like, I'm not going to do it that way, I'm going to do it this way. And what that means is that we're going to be out of step with culture in some ways, of course we will, the church should be. We're going to be out of step with our neighbors in some ways, the way we live, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, some of our views. We're going to be out of step with whatever's popular, hip, now, whatever they're making movies about. Like, we're going to be out of step with that a little bit, but we're going to do it on purpose. And so we've been looking at different ways we can do that uh, throughout this entire series. And I want to talk about how Followers of Jesus today should be off track on purpose with our sense of obedience. The life in Christ, when you follow Jesus, when you say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, and we we talked about being a disciple last week. When you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you are saying really two things. Number one, there is a God, and he's greater than me, and he knows better than me. Like, he's ultimate, and I'm I'm somewhere way, way down the line. You're acknowledging his authority. And you're saying, I'm going to obey, I'm going to fall in line with and follow what he tells me and commands me to do. And I think that's a, a challenge for us. It's, it's hard for us to, one, in our, because of our own pride, it's hard for us to acknowledge there's someone greater than us, that someone knows better than us, that there's a God who created us. It's hard to acknowledge that. And secondly, it's hard to obey. It's hard to fall in line with what he calls us to. So last week we talked about that, that we don't have to wonder about meaning and purpose and significance in life, that Jesus actually gives us those things. And so I, I want to I dive into a scripture that, that we started with last week. Before we do that, I just want to say this. If you have any questions about what I'm saying, you can text them in. We've put the number up on the screen. We'll put the number on the screen for you. You can text in your questions. If you're watching online and you want to text in a question, I will try to answer it at the end of the service today. If you're here in the room, text it in and so we can interact on, on this topic. So uh, last week we started with uh, this this commission, this, this mission, this purpose, this meaning that Jesus gives to his disciples. And I want to go back and read it to you again, and I want you to catch a couple details out of it that we didn't talk about last week. Matthew chapter 28, we'll start with verse 16, we'll put it on the screen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some translations say teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So Jesus comes to them. And I think there's a couple details I didn't point out last week, but I think there's a couple details that are interesting there. 
Jesus poured his life and ministry primarily into these 12 disciples, these 12 guys, and one of them is now gone. Judas betrays Jesus and, has, and, and sends Jesus up to be crucified, and then Jesus goes and, or Judas goes and kills himself. And so the, the 12 that he had originally poured into, now there's 11. So they're one man down on, on the whole process. So Jesus appears to those 11, and while we're there, it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. So even out of, out of his closest 11 followers that he had just poured into for years, they'd seen him do many miraculous things, uh, and they, even they at this moment, some of them were like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I got some doubts. I got some questions. I'm not sure about this whole resurrection thing. Did Jesus really die? I don't really know. Like they have their doubts. And I love that that's recorded for us because what that tells me is that God works through people who have some doubts. God works through some people who are screw-ups. God doesn't, work, uh, doesn't wait for them to pull together the perfect team. Because if I'm the disciples at that point and Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, I would be like, I don't know, we're one man down. Can we wait till we have a full team? Like, we're missing a guy. Let's just wait a second. I'm not feeling good about that. Or, you know, go make disciples. And they're having their doubts. They're just like, man, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. Like, they got all that stuff going on. Jesus, I don't feel a sense of peace about this. Can we wait? And, and yet, in spite of that, in spite of their doubts and being undermanned or whatever, Jesus says, no, I want you to go and make disciples. We talked about that last week. Be, make people who are apprentices who follow Jesus to learn from Jesus, to do as Jesus would do if he were in their shoes. So they're called to do that. And then at the end of that, it says, and I want you to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So for us to be a disciple of Jesus, it actually involves obedience. Like we do the thing he tells us. So, so what you really have to do, if you're going to obey everything Jesus commanded, you've got to learn what Jesus commanded. So when I look at things that I deal with in life, oh, how should I approach work? Well, what does Jesus command about how we should approach work? Let me look at that. How, what, what, what do I believe about marriage? Well, what does Jesus teach about marriage? Let me, let me obey that. What do I believe about sexuality? Oh, well, what does Jesus teach about that? How do I obey that? Um, what does Jesus teach about money? Like, I have to learn all of these things and, and track with that so that I can be a disciple, so that I can obey what he has commanded me to do. And, and, and it's important for us to recognize because when Jesus teaches, he's not giving us some, some thoughts for us to consider. He's not like, this is a teaching, go think about it, and maybe you're into it, maybe you're not. He actually gives us something that is closer to like orders to follow or commands to obey. Now, unless you have been in the military, the idea of orders to follow or commands to obey, you probably bristle at it a little bit. You're probably like, I, I'm not... I'm not into that. I'm a, I'm a grown-up. I don't need orders to follow. I don't need commands to obey. I don't, it just sounds like a, a, a major like buzzkill, right? Like Jesus walking around barking out orders like, thou shall this and thou shalt not that and all that kind of stuff. That sounds pretty intense. I think to understand it, though, we need to put it into the context that Jesus' audience would have understood it. Jesus, when he taught, primarily he taught to Jews living in Israel in the first century. And uh, they had a way of, of thinking about um, obedience to God. Um, so one of the most famous verses that, that, uh, from the Old Testament that Jews would read every day, it would be uh, this, this command, this, this kind of centering uh, words, is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. I want to read it to you. It says this. Now, Jews in Jesus' day, they would have read this every day. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right, this is called the Shema. And the reason why is it starts with the Hebrew word Shema. We'll put it on the screen. Shema is the word for hear. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is what? Now, the word Shema means hear as in the way we think of hearing. It means uh, you know, auditory signals go into your ear, and a lot of the Old Testament writers use the word Shema in that way. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. It's the Shema ear, the, the ear that hears, and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. That's a pretty typical usage of the word Shema. We, okay, I hear it. But the word Shema also goes beyond just, I heard the sounds enter my ear cavity, right? Like it goes beyond that. Uh, it, and it, 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 listen to Psalm 27, 7. It, it can actually mean something more like hearing and responding. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me, David writes in the Psalms. This isn't just, Lord, I want you to hear the sounds I'm making from my voice. This is, I would like a response from you. There's more in Shema. It's not just hearing it, it's hearing it, and there needs to be some sort of response there. Um, you see this, the, the, the writers of the Old Testament use that a lot. In fact, God uses that for his people as well. He uses that word Shema when he wants to tell them uh, to, to respond to him and to, to listen. You see this when Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. They are slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They leave Egypt. The plagues happen, all that kind of stuff. And they're wandering in the wilderness. And, and in the wilderness, they come to a place called Mount Sinai. And at that place, God gives them the laws. He lays down the law of their community. Now, we know these as the Ten Commandments, and then there are, there are more to come. But he starts, like, here's the Ten Commandments. You've, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, we have enough sort of cultural knowledge of that. Okay, God gave them Ten Commandments. But understand how it worked when he gave them what he said to them. Listen to what uh, he says to them before he gives them the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 19, God says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Yeah, they saw that, the plagues, all that, when they escaped as slaves from slavery, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed shema my voice, obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. This is, uh, this, is, uh, this is beyond if you will just hear what I'm saying. God doesn't say, hey, we did this thing, I brought you out now. If you will just hear what I'm saying, it's beyond hearing. And he's not saying, don't just listen to what I'm saying. Like we would say an active listener, oh, I reflected back to you, I heard, I, I understood your words. He's saying, uh, actually in Hebrew it says shema, shema. It's repeated twice, which is giving it an emphasis to say, no, I'm not talking about just hearing. I'm not talking about listening. I'm not even talking about responding. I'm talking about obey what I say. God says, because we have this relationship, I want you to obey my words, not just hear them. This is a, a, a big deal. And the ancient idea to, is to truly hear God is to obey what he says. This is why when the prophets say that Israel isn't hearing God, it doesn't mean that they can never hear God communicate. It means that they're not obeying what God has taught them. They're, they're coming up with excuses and doing everything else. And I think this is an important idea for us to remember now, because when we think about hearing from God now, 
when people say, I wish I could hear from God. I wish God would speak to me. I, I wish God would teach me something. I wish God would say something. Here's the deal. Maybe God is speaking to you, but maybe you're not hearing him. And maybe the reason you're not hearing him is that when he speaks, you don't obey. You don't actually do the thing he's calling you to do. And over time, what can happen is if you cease to obey, if you just stop doing the things he's calling you to do, over time what happens is you just don't hear it anymore. You don't hear or recognize his voice. Um, there, there's a big difference between just hearing something and, and obeying it. We, we see this with kids. Uh, how do I know when kids are little, like kids, go, go get your shoes, it's time to leave the house, it's time to put on your shoes. I think half of parenthood is just getting kids to put on their shoes. Like, it's, there's, where are the shoes? Why, did, why can't we find your shoe? Uh, especially when they're little. But the way you know kids heard you is if they obey, right? Oh, you didn't hear, like, that's, that's how you know that it sunk into the level that you intended it. Like, hey, this is what we're going to do. I need you to do this. And then they actually go do it. Okay, they heard me. Because if they wander off and do other things, you're like, they didn't, they didn't hear me. So we, we kind of use the word the same, the same way, that hearing and obedience uh, are, are, are tied together. And I think it's the same thing that happens with us and God. We hear him, but it's when we obey, that's the proof that we actually really heard him. Now, obedience, the, the term obedience, obeying God, that can sound heavy. But let's put some more context around it. Right before God gives the Ten Commandments. This is the very start of the Ten Commandments. If, if you ever want to answer this on a trivi- trivia question, the Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20 in the Old Testament. And listen to how God starts those. You know, you know the thou shall not murder, thou shall not commit adultery, that kind of stuff. But listen to the way it starts. Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of of slavery. And then he's going to go into his laws. You shall have no other gods before me. You, know, um, you shall honor the Sabbath. You shall honor your father and mother, that kind of thing. He's going to go into all those laws. But he starts with, I'm God who brought you out of slavery. And it sounds like he's doing this like, yo, I'm God, you're not, y'all need to recognize that like I'm in charge here. I, I'm about to lay down the law. I'm the boss. But really what I think it is, is he's, he's bringing them back to the relationship. He's not coming, dropping the, the rules like the boss. He's coming in, setting boundaries like a parent and saying, hey, we have a relationship here. I know you. You know me. We've been in this together. I'm, I'm the same one who helped lead you when you were struggling, when you were enslaved and you were you know, in pain. And I helped lead you out of that. Remember that? Remember that? That, was, that wasn't that long ago. That's me. And, and I'm, your, I'm your father, and I'm, and I'm going to put some boundaries. So he, he starts with their relationship before he gives them the rules. And so I think there's three ideas about obedience we need to grab out of this. Number one, obedience flows out of relationship. Obedience flows out of relationship. Instead of thinking of obedience as religious rule keeping, where if I do this right and I do this right and I check all the boxes, I have pleased the deity... Think about obedience in terms of relationship and go, okay, wait, this isn't how I follow the rules. This is how I show love for my heavenly father. This is how I show love in a relationship is that I actually do 
what's, what's asked of me or what's required of me. If you look at the history of Israel and God and their relationship, it's not just this like, oh, he's a wrathful deity who, who arbitrarily just smites people. It, it doesn't work that way. If you look at it, you see a God who's pursuing his people, who's constantly wooing them and, and loving them and, and serving them and delivering them and working with them. Yes, he's also setting boundaries. He's, he's the God, he, as a, and, he, and he says, look, there are some boundaries for you, and I know you, and I know how you're made, and I know how you tick, and I know if you go down this road, it's going to be very bad for you, and you don't know that, and you're like, but I want to go down that road, and, and God's like, no, that's not going to go well, and this is why I'm drawing boundaries around it. That is, the, that is what a loving parent does for their children, right? He's not just going, oh, here's the rules, I'm in charge. He's going, I'm your father, and I want to put some boundaries. I know how you can flourish, um, every parent does this. You know things more than your children know. That's how it works. My kids, when they were young, given the choice, would eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I, as a parent, go, that's not how you're built. That's not going to go well for you. You can't have candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's just not a good thing for your body. But they don't know. They think, this is a great thing for my body. It tastes amazing. Let's just keep having that. And I have more knowledge and more wisdom, and it is my job to put a boundary around that. I'm, and, and actually, if I don't, I'm probably a bad parent. If I don't put some boundaries around and say, these are good things to do, these are not good things to do. That's what parents do, and that's what God does with us. Um, he, he starts the conversation with them and says, you were slaves, and it was bad, and I delivered you out of that, and you are my people. He's, he's going to ask for them to obey his commands, but he's doing it out of relationship. And that's the only way it really works. That's the only way you'll be obedient to something in the long term is when there is relationship there. Rachel Gilson, author of the book Born Again This Way, says this, the obedience of faith only works when it's rooted in a person, not a rule. Imposed on its own, a rule invites us to sit in judgment, weighing its reasonableness. But a rule flowing from relationship smooths the way for faithful obedience. When a child doesn't understand her mother's command, the mother's character plays a strong role in what happens next. A cruel, capricious mother is likely to meet resistance, but an affectionate, nurturing mother inspires trust because you know she's on your side profoundly. So obedience will only work when it flows out of relationship, not rules, which brings me to the second piece. Obedience is rooted in love. Obedience is rooted in love. When Jesus taught his disciples, one of the last, one of the last things he did was he had a meal with them before he was crucified, the night before he was crucified. And the book of John records that meal as a very long conversation from John 13 to like 18. Uh, there's there's the, all, all this talk over dinner that's sort of recorded, and Jesus tells them about the Holy Spirit and what God is going to do and how the Spirit is going to come. Um, and, and right there in the middle of this conversation, uh, he says something that's really interesting. John chapter 14, verse 15, is put on the screen. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you love me, you will obey what I'm telling you. Now that's weird, a little bit, right? Because if we were going to 
put words in Jesus' mouth today, we would, we would think that what he would say there is, if you love me, be nice to people. If you love me, you should be kind. If you love me, take care of the poor. If you love me, find people that are hurting and make their situation better. If you love me, stand up for justice. If you love me, tear down the walls of hostility. Like, there's all sorts of things we would put in there in that sentence if we were to write it today. And those aren't bad things. We are called to pursue some of those things, so those aren't bad things. But what Jesus says, going to the source, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So in other words, don't just walk around going, oh, praise you, God, and sing the song and raise the hand and pray the prayer and, and tell people and put out on social that, you know, God and, and all these things. Like, that's nice, that's fine, that's all well and good, but at the end of the day, if you're going to show your love, you're going to actually be obedient to the things he's commanded you to do. He ties together love and obedience for two reasons, I think. One is because love is proven or shown by obedience. You show your love by actually doing the thing and following up. And then the second piece about that is that the obedience that we are to show, it comes out of, first and foremost, love. We don't obey because we're trying to appease God. We obey out of out of love. Now, in, in our culture today, it's really easy for us to play the love card. We're, we're all about love. Um, we think people should be loving and maybe more loving, and, and I can certainly get why and see where that's true, when, especially when we're not. But we, we, we sort of have these things culturally. All you need is love, and love is all you need, thanks to the Beatles, right? We, we, we believe these things. Yeah, love makes the world go round, and you know, love's kind of everything. And, and we have movies about that, and drama, and songs, and, and, and just all, all the stuff around love. Um, and I, and, I, and I love that, right? It's great. But along with that, there's obedience. Along with that, there is do what he commands you to do. Do what Christ commands you to do. Don't tell me you are loving towards God if you are unwilling to be obedient to him. Now, if that's jarring to you, maybe this is an opportunity to expand your view of God. If your view of God is that he's a rule keeper and that he's a rule maker and that he just wants you to get in line and get it right and, and, and don't step out of line and don't mess up, if that's your view of God, you heard some bad sermons growing up, probably, one, or your parents were really mean. Um, but if that's your view of God, that he's just all, you know, the, the heat and, and fire and all that, you need to expand your view of God and understand that there is a God who actually loves you and, is, and, 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 and very much cares about you and is for you. That's true. But if your view of God is only that God loves me and he cares for me and he dotes on me and I'm so special and I'm, I'm his greatest treasure and he falls asleep at night looking at pictures of me and whatever, like if that's your view of God, you need to also understand that he calls you to obey. There are commands to obey. And so you also might need to expand your view of God. Both of those things about him can be true. Here's, here's the deal. Um, our, our, our obedience is rooted in love. I was thinking about, um, this is a weird thing to think about, but I was thinking about why I don't cheat on my wife. Let me give you some reasons. All right? Uh, I, so, because I think it illustrates the point. There, there are sort of like 
secondary reasons and then there's primary reasons. There's a couple secondary reasons why I, I wouldn't cheat on my wife. One is I don't actually think I can do better. Like I, 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 I kind of got her early. I got her in, uh, like she got kind of trapped into the whole thing, you know, like, and then suddenly we were married and then we're sort of like done. And I, and I feel like I just kind of lucked out there. It, I, it only had to work once. It worked once, fine. And I don't think I can play that game again. I think I don't have the game. I don't, I don't want to play it. I just don't think I can do it again. So that's one issue why I, I wouldn't. Second is, um, if I cheated on my wife, I would lose my job. And I have a, a, a bachelor's degree in, in uh, theology and music. And there's not a lot of like Fortune 500 companies that are hiring that guy. So I'm kind of capped out in my career at this point, all right? So this is what I do. And so I don't have like these translatable job skills over into another market. So if I want to blow up my marriage and then blow up my ministry, I'm going to be going to work at, you know, I'm going to be the greeter at Walmart because that's about, you know, that's where I go next, you know. And so at some point I go, well, I'm not going to cheat on my wife because like I don't want to be a greeter at Walmart. Like I, I don't know that that's like the right move for me. The third reason I wouldn't cheat on my wife is because it will destroy my children. Um, to, to, um, it, it, it will wound them. For, for decades, if, if I do that. It will wound them in, in some pretty profound ways, and it will probably mess up and come into play in relationships that they're going to be in in the future. So I don't really want to do that. So all of those are kind of secondary reasons why I wouldn't cheat on my wife. But the primary reason is this. I love her. And uh, that's, that's the heart of it. That's the thing that was go- is going to keep me centered, is that there's love there. And I'm going to obey the rules, but I'm going to do that because of love, because we're in relationship and because of, of love. Obedience flows out of love. That's, that's just how it, how it works. It's, it's rooted in that. And this is how it works with God, too. We won't always feel loving towards God, and we won't always feel like he's showing us a lot of love, but we will... Uh, remember the truth of that and, and obey out of that relationship first and foremost, which brings me to the last point is this. Number three, obedience doesn't always feel great. Sometimes when we obey God and do what he says, it does feel great. It feels right. Um, it feels like we're doing the good thing, the healthy thing, the, the thing that is that's going to help us flourish. Um, sometimes it's right on. And then sometimes obedience to God isn't going to feel like that at all. It's going to be a chore. It's going to be, oh, I've got to do the harder thing. It's going to be, oh, this is annoying. It's going to be, man, why is he trying to kill, kill my fun? And that is the point where our obedience is tested. I would submit to you that obedience isn't really obedience if you just like it all the time and go, go along with it all the time and you like it. It is actually tested in the places where it's uncomfortable to you. That's, that's what actual obedience looks like. Hey, I know you don't want this. I know you don't love this right now. I know you're, this, is not, this would not be the way you want to go about it. But sometimes obedience is going to feel that way. It's going to feel like, ugh. And, and so sort of the corollary with that is you can't always just check in on your feelings to decide if I'm going to obey or not because they're, they're going to mess with you. They're, they're going to they're steer you wrong. Imagine Moses if God says, go speak to Pharaoh, okay, to be fair, Moses does throw up a lot of excuses in, in Exodus chapter 3 when God says, I want you to go t- talk to Pharaoh. Moses is like, ah, I'm probably not good at that. But, you know, if Moses had been like, if God's like, go speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and Moses is like, you know, I'm not feeling a peace about that. 
I don't feel peace about standing before Pharaoh. It's like, I don't care what your peace is. Like, go speak to Pharaoh, you know? If Abraham's supposed to sacrifice Isaac and he's like, you know, I feel good about this. I feel like this is right. No, that's not how that works, right? If Daniel goes before King Nebuchadnezzar and the king's gonna throw him in the lion's den, what if Daniel had been like, I'm just not getting a good vibe about going in the lion's den. I don't think, I'm not vibing with that right now. Maybe there's probably a better, you know. No, obedience uh, doesn't necessarily have peace for you on the front end. It's not like you get peace before you obey. The truth is, the peace comes on the other side of obedience, not on, on this side. It's really about trust. Do you trust God when we are called to obey him? Do you trust when he calls you to do something that feels uncomfortable? Are you, are you trusting that um, he, he doesn't want to ruin your life? Right? that's our concern. I think I know what's best for me. I'll take care of it. But if I trust God, he might, it might not be funny. He might, he might ruin my life. What if I'm not going to get all that I could get because I'm following God? One of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, he says this, kingdom obedience is kingdom abundance. They are not two separate things. And my prayer for you and for us is that you would know that that is true. That that there's abundance to be had. There's, there's actually joyful life to be had in obedience and that obeying and, and having the joy and having the abundance are not separate things. And so let's assume that he's right about that and assume that is true. Here's my question. Where is God speaking to you right now? Where is he calling you and asking you to shema him, to hear his voice? And where do you need to take the next step of obedience. Let's pray. God, I thank you for calling to us that we have the opportunity to hear from you, to hear your voice, to, to know you, to be in relationship with you. Um, God, may we never look at that relationship like it's a bunch of rule following um, of thou shalts and shalt nots, but that we look at it um, as, a, as boundaries given by a loving father to his children. Um, God, I, I pray that we, that we learn that, experience that uh, today as, as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.